This episode is brought to you by Visit Salt Lake. Salt Lake is the perfect place for you to begin your genealogy research or delve deeper into your family's roots. Receive free access to the world's largest genealogy database at the Family History Library. Find a hotel room under $100 and dine at affordable and delectable restaurants. Plus, ride Salt Lake's light rail tracks for free in downtown. You don't have to travel all over the world to trace your roots. Start your journey of discovery in Salt Lake, the genealogy capital of the world. For more information, go to www.visitsaltlake.com slash genealogy. Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. When it comes to family history research, the first place we head these days is online. And in this July 2011 episode of the podcast, we are focusing on online genealogy. First, we'll start off with a check on the genealogy news with the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad, who will share a great new online tool that's going to help you prepare for the upcoming 1940 U.S. Census. Then in our top tip segment, I will be talking with Family Tree Magazine consulting editor, David Frixell. He's going to be talking about the brand new 101 Best Websites list. And if you're ready to hit the road this summer, you might just want to consider a trip to Salt Lake City. And our special sponsor of this episode is VisitSaltLake.com, which is the perfect online place to do your planning. And I'll be talking to Caitlin Eskelson about what you'll find there on their site. Then our own in-house preservationist, Grace Dobish, will be here again, this time talking about online preservation in this new installment of Safekeeping. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Grace will be here in her role as Dean and Community Coordinator, and she's going to be interviewing me about using Google Earth for genealogy. And finally, we will check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who will tell us about a truly exciting new online event that's coming up next month. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy News with Diane Haddad. to kick off this episode with the news from the blogosphere and here to give us the scoop is the genealogy insider blogger diane haddad hi diane hi diane you blogged recently on a topic that is hot on the minds of a lot of folks who are researching their family history and it's about a cool tool that helps us find some relatively recent history actually in the scheme of things tell mm-hmm. us more about that well this tool is how to access the 1940 census in one step quiz and if people aren't familiar with the one step site that's the one by steve morse where people can go um do searches of third-party sites such as um, ancestry.com or family search and it just gives you more flexibility usually in your search so he has some tools that help you find enumeration districts for censuses, the 1930 and 1940. And of course, we'll, we'll all need to know the enumeration district when the 1940 census first comes out. Of course, because we're all going to be too impatient to wait for it to be indexed, right? Right. Um, yes. <laughs> we, we know the ED, access. we can go 
get in there ourselves and start browsing page by page. Right. You won't be able to search by name when it first comes out um, on the National Archives website. So what Steve Morse did, and he's got a couple people he works with, was publish this quiz that helps you figure out which of his website's tools you need to use, and it kind of guides you through. Um, it's sort of like those books um, I read when I was little. They were little mystery books, and they would ask you, um, do you open the cabinet door to see what's ticking, or do you run right out of the room? And then depending <laughs> what you answer, you turn to a different page. So the tool asks you yes or no question, and then you go, depending what your answer is, it asks you another question. Yeah, it was a lot like that, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I ran through it from my grandparents' house, and it, it worked really slick. And I love your blog post because you kind of walk us through the quiz with you. Right. Um, so I knew where my family lived in 1940, and it'll either, um, if you knew where they lived in 1940 and you you knew where they lived in 1940 and they didn't move, then you can use the tool that converts your 1930 enumeration district to the 1941. If you don't know where they lived in, um, or, you know, they moved or whatever, then it just takes you right to the tool that lets you figure out the 1940 enumeration district, which is what I had to do. Right. So the idea here is, is that we can get some homework done before it gets released. So maybe for those we've been really waiting for, we can dig in there right away and, and find them. But but like you said in your blog post, the toughest part's going to be not losing that sticky note that we write down these ED numbers on, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> I luckily will just be able to refer back to this blog post. Exactly. Well, if you would like to refer to Diane's blog post, it's a great example of how this really cool little tool works, and you can get started on it right away. You don't have to wait until the 1940 comes out to start getting your ducks in line to be ready to do the search when it does get released. This sounds great. I will have a link directly to Diane's blog post. It's called Finding Your Ancestors' 1940 Census Enumeration District. Great stuff as always. Thank you, Diane. You're welcome. Would you like to add a wow factor to your online research? Well, David Frixell, author of the new article, Dazzling Destinations, from the September 2011 issue of the magazine, is here to share the new 101 Best Websites list, which highlights dynamic tools for discovering and sharing your family history. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Well, thank you for being here. And we look forward to hearing your list every year because... Of course, the internet is just packed with all of these amazing websites. We hear about new ones every day. It just gets so overwhelming. And here you are doing all the legwork for us. <laughs> Do you still enjoy that job? Absolutely. I could never have believed when we had the first 101 best websites all these many years ago, the changes that we would see in the internet and what we're now able to do versus the things back then, which a lot of the lists, things there were lists and not very exciting, but it was still amazing you could do them on the Internet. Now, oh, we're so spoiled. <laughs> I know. We expect magical tools, don't we? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I know that each year you kind of um, have an underlying theme that helps to direct your choices because there's so many different ways that you can go in terms of which websites you're looking at. What was your theme this year? Right. Well, last year we emphasized free sites because we thought, well, in a down economy, it's a good idea to show people that they can still get a lot you know, of something for nothing uh, online. 
This year, we sort of hit on that theme of, as I mentioned, being spoiled. That is, we kind of raised the bar a little bit, including both free and paid sites. And we looked for ones that, well, some people call it Web 2.0. That is, the more technological tools, a little razzle-dazzle. So we're no longer satisfied, because we're spoiled, with sites that are just a bunch of interesting data. We want them to look good and to have a, have flashy features and, you know, really pop off the uh, computer screen. So they say we're spoiled, and that was kind of the uh, the theme this year. Exactly. I think people are definitely demanding more content and quality content, right? More records and that 2.0 you're talking about, which is the, the sociability factor. It's our, it's our opportunity to connect with each other. Right. We put included this year all kinds of things, you know, Facebook and other kind of social networking applications, all sorts of ways that you can share and store your data online, uh, tools as, for as well as just things. We, I love the, you know, the data sites. I think they're really my favorite. But this year, again, we really went beyond those and also included a lot of things that uh, would help you share photos or connect with family members or distant cousins and collaborate and do all those sort of things that the web is now doing in the world beyond genealogy. Right. Now, you've had a chance to comb through all these sites. What is one of your favorite sites from the list that you use personally? Well, I think, let me actually, let me tell you about two. Uh, one is the uh, the Daughters of the American Revolution site. And I think this is interesting because of how much it has changed uh, and sort of becoming that uh, Web 2.0 kind of site. It used to be that you could go to the site and find the basic sort of information through its ancestors. But you, if you wanted really anything much more than that, you had to contact the Daughters of the American Revolution. And now, in recently, they have put on a whole bunch of digitized information so you can, in effect, tap the uh, files that were submitted by people to prove their patriotic ancestry. So since I have some Southern ancestors that go way back, that's fun and exciting for me. Yeah. And a related one, then, is the Virginia Memory Site, which is... Uh, again, an upgrade from the uh, Library of Virginia. And it's still got things like Revolutionary War, land bounty records, and all the sort of land and uh, property records, as well as more recent things like they did a series of interviews with World War I veterans from Virginia, and those are on there. So it's amazing stuff, but it's been, again, given a bit of a makeover. So it, it met our razzle-dazzle uh, test this year. And so... I've always liked it, but now it's got really some more more bang for the buck and looks a lot prettier, too. That seems to be a real um, key to who survives and who doesn't, because it's great to have the great content. But of course, if it's not usable and friendly and, like you say, kind of um, has some razzle-dazzle, has some cool tools on it, um, it's hard to go very far. So it seems like that's a theme that I just picked up on just reading through the list was some of ones are ones that have been around quite a while, but they are really keeping up, aren't they? That's right. And not everybody, you know, from the original list years ago, not everybody's still there. Yeah. Some don't exist anymore. Some of them have just dropped off because... You know, they were good then, but uh, the bar keeps getting raised, not just by us, but just by the public in general, that uh, 
they, you demand more. It's got to be, you know, very efficient to use. You don't want to kind of have to stumble around. You, you're willing to put up maybe with some ads, but if they're too in your face, you're going to walk away from that. There's a lot of things that people now, as they say, are, are a little bit spoiled on that maybe years ago we would have put up with. But now it's just, well, I, I'll go someplace else for that. Well, now, were there any sites that you hadn't heard about before um, before you were working on this list that really jumped out at you and you went, wow, this has got to be on the list now? Well, one that really impressed me that I ended up actually using just a couple weeks ago researching a friend's genealogy is the Cook County Naturalization Records. Yeah. 500,000 records there. And even if your ancestor didn't wind up uh, actually living in Chicago, Illinois, or which is Cook County, they often, you had to go to the court there to uh, get naturalized. So even if you lived in the hinterlands of Illinois or maybe Indiana, you still could go through there. And so I was, I had never really experienced this because I don't have immigrant ancestors from the right period, but this friend of ours has immigrant ancestors right from that sort of Ellis Island period, and they were from Romania, which I knew nothing about, hmm. and their names were incredibly difficult in all kinds of different spellings, uh, and nothing like what you know they think they uh, wound up as today, but I was able to find them. I found those naturalization records. And that really unlocked the whole history of how they got here and when they got here by using that site. So it's a terrific uh, site. And just just sitting there, if you happen to have ancestors in the right general region, that it's a, it's a real treasure. It's a half a million records, so the odds are pretty good. Oh, gosh. I can't, I can't even imagine that 10 years ago any of us would have thought we would have been looking at naturalization records digitized online. <laughs> that seemed like way out there. Yeah, it's your classic example of sort of dusty records sitting in a library or archive or yeah. building somewhere that who knew they, where they even were, maybe. And now, oh, I'll just do a few clicks and interview things. And, of course, because they're online, you're able to search them in ways that traditionally you wouldn't have been able to do. This family's uh, last name was Berman, B-E-R-M-A-N. And there are, you could spell it with a couple of N's, and there are a lot of... So I just, I looked at all the Berman's, spelled any different, you know, possible way, and, uh, you know, there they, they popped up. But to have plowed through them, because this was oh, spanning, I don't know, 20 years from first to last, maybe, to have tried to look through them all by hand would have been impossible. Exactly. It really does change the whole research experience. I was thinking about that and looking at um, Google Books, which is under your tech tools section. And, you know, I found a book on there that, of course, was seven or 800 pages. It was digitized. It was a book I'd picked up 10, 12 years ago at my local National Archives. But incredibly, as I was doing a search on a particular name of an ancestor, that book popped up and a one and a book in an adjoining county, which I don't think I ever would have pulled off the shelf. I did not know there was any connection to that county, but only through the search function. You know, does that just break wide open and all of a sudden you realize, oh, my gosh, there's this whole other path. And who, who has time to go through, you know, every 900-page book from every county? <laughs> Plus, you get instant gratification. You might have thought, oh, gee, it would be interesting to look up that book someday and maybe I could get it through interlibrary loan. Right. But maybe you never would have followed up on that. But here, it's right in front of you on your computer screen, and you get that instant gratification of answers or at least more clues right away, and you can follow up on them right away when the spirit moves you, not maybe weeks later when you've forgotten why you even ordered that book. 
Exactly. Well, finally, can you give us an example of a website from the list that you think that most genealogists may be missing, but they shouldn't be missing? Well, I think the it's an unusual one. It's the Steve Morse's One-Step Genealogy site. Mm-hmm. It's different because it doesn't really give you any data specifically. And it's even maybe a little failing that razzle-dazzle test in terms of the looks, but the technology behind it is pretty astonishing. What he lets you do is, with one step, search all kinds of other databases, most notably uh, the Ellis Island database, but also Castle Garden and all kinds of other immigrant databases. And again, in researching with this, this same friend, uh, I was able to find their ancestors' passenger records through Ellis Island using the, the Steve Morse One Step because it lets you enter almost any mix of variables, let's put it that way, whereas the, the regular Ellis Island site, you have to enter certain things and it has to have a last name and this search can only be done this way. With going in through the back door with Steve Morse, you can do anything you want, pretty much. So if you want to search for everybody uh, you know, who came on, between these dates whose last name began with a Y, you can do that. And as it turned out, this person's ancestor, the name they came over on was, it was so scrambled, I don't think we would have found it otherwise. She knew this ancestor as Emma, but it was in the record as Hakama. Oh. How these things happen. But thanks to the Steve Moore side, I was able to drill down and say, sort of get into Ellis Island through the back door, and suddenly I'm showing her, you know, here's the, here's the passenger record on the Ellis Island site. So it's pretty amazing. That's, that's what the, the web can do with the genealogy for you. Yeah, it may not be fancy to look at, but he definitely brings up some fancy results, which are terrific. There is something that, uh, you know, I can't, even, I can't even begin to imagine how he does it, but it, it's there, and it's something that people really need to discover if they're doing that kind of research. Exactly. Well, and I was thrilled and pleasantly surprised when I got my email that my website made the list this year. You're so sneaky. I mean, you did not say a word. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're sworn to secrecy. You know, if we told you, we would have to kill you. I, well, that's true. That's true. Well, it wouldn't be a website. So, And you put me in the right category because I'm on Genealogy Gems is under tech tools. And uh, that's just my favorite stuff. I'm a, a genie geek. Definitely true and true. Um, these are all terrific sites. Very dazzling. They certainly are going to just give a one-two punch to our research and really kind of get things moving forward. And the beautiful part is, David, once again, you've done all the legwork for us. I just love it. Um, if you want to check out David's article, it's Dazzling Destinations. It's the 101 Best Websites list for 2011. It is in the September 2011 issue, which is out now. David Frixell, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a bunch. Hi, everybody. This is Grace Dowish, the Dean of Family Tree University. You probably know me better from the safekeeping segments here in the podcast, but the tables are turned uh, this month because I'm going to interview Lisa instead of the other way around. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Grace. 
So, Lisa, you teach a couple classes for us at Family Tree University, most notably the whole Google searching series, which has been very popular. But there's one in particular that I wanted to talk to you about today, and that's the Google Earth class. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely one of my favorites. I mean, I love teaching for all the different classes, but of course, Google Earth has a special place in my heart. So for the uninitiated, is Google Earth just like a souped up version of Google Maps? Yeah, that might be a way to put it. It's it's kind of a, a 3D version of Google Maps, if you will. I mean, I, I used to use Google Maps, and the more I got into Google Earth, I, I haven't been back to Google Maps for a long time because it does everything plus a lot more. So why not get a lot more? Yeah, and so Google Maps, that's the one that people use in their browser all the time. You need driving directions, you go into Google Maps. But uh, Google Earth is actually a program that you download into your computer. What type of stuff does it do? Well, you're absolutely right. It's one of the few items that Google puts out that is a downloadable software program. It's a one-time download, but it does access the Internet, and it accesses their, their search engine. And that's really interesting that, you know, when you ask, what does it do? Because when people think of Google Earth, they think of maps, maps, maps. But one of the things that I try to do in the class and in my DVD series is to put on my genealogy hat and look at it from a genealogist's perspective. What can it do for family history? And that's pretty been pretty eye-opening because it is so far-reaching, you know, genealogy is all location, location, location. That's how we find our records. That's how we find where people are located and, and the whole thing. That's the context of our family. And so in Google Earth, you can not only get the current map, <laughs> the current locations, you can tap into old historical maps. You can bring in your own historical maps, create your own collection. And one of the things that is really, I think, becoming more and more evident is that Google Earth is really the whole Google search engine. You can do your searching your web browsing, you can you can get in there without ever having to leave the program. So sometimes, rather than starting at google.com for your genealogy searches, I would suggest going into Google Earth and doing your searches from there and then having the maps right at your fingertips to then plug things in and, and locate things. It's, it's really an amazing program. And beyond the searching, beyond the maps, you can really get into an entire storytelling component, which is one of the things we focus on in class. That's incredible. So, for example, if your ancestor lived on a street that no longer exists, that you might, you know, if you were going to your ancestor's hometown trying to find the, your ancestral home and it just doesn't exist anymore, could Google Earth help you with that? Absolutely. In fact, one of the examples that we use in class is um, talking about what started with as an old photograph that I um, had in my own collection and wanting to find that location today. And though the, the photograph was the, the catalyst for that, it really brings us through the entire process of how do you locate a location today, particularly when addresses change, street names change, that type of thing. And there are all kinds of features in the gallery, like roads and maps and labels and things that, that will give you information about today. You can use the search feature to see if these locations still exist. And then you can bring in old historical maps to overlay them and say, okay, well, if it's different than it was then, can I find it on the old map and then translate that into what is the address today? and then zoom in on Street View and really get up close and personal. It, it, it absolutely can answer those questions for us. And I think 
give us a much more in-depth look than we ever really expected. That's really cool. And there are also features where you can use Google Earth to create kind of mashups or kind of visual storytelling um, sessions, too. Exactly. I call those uh, family history tours. Uh, but certainly, it is it is a kind of a multimedia storytelling function. The idea being that the map is kind of the the canvas, and that we can embed photographs and videos, whether they're old videos, you know, old home videos, or whether they're new videos of you, you know, visiting that place today, and having your own little who do you think you are experience, you know, putting that on your map. You can actually include your old documents. Uh, to me, that's one of the exciting things is that all these documents that we've gone through, we've put them in our database, we've filed them away, we can pull those back out and start incorporating them into our map so that as we tell the story and walk our viewer through this kind of multimedia presentation of here's the story of where they went and what they did and who they were, and here's the backup. Here's the real document. Come see their signature. Come see their face in a photograph. All of these things can come together and be recorded. That's the other really cool thing, Grace, is that Google Earth can record this for you. And then you can just shoot that over an email to anybody that you want to share it with. That's really cool. Now, I have one question, though. I mean, if you're not super techie, if you're not a like computer whiz, would you still be able to use this class? Yes. If you're not a, a computer geek like I am... <laughs> Don't worry, because that was one of the things I was striving for, was I really wanted this to be accessible to everybody. And the good news is, there's zero programming involved. There's zero, really, any kind of high-tech need at all, because the process that you follow is very repetitive. Once you get the hang of the simple opening the dialog box, pasting, cutting and pasting, all you have to know how to do is copy and paste, you can create these features and you actually get very good at it because like I say it is very repetitive you're not having to learn brand new things for each component and of course when it comes to when I talk about embedding these items you're talking about HTML code but don't even worry about it because it is simply copying and pasting so all of that is very very step by step in class if, if you take the class then you're you've got me along with you you can ask questions along the way and we interact all throughout the time period we also have the dvd series in the shop family tree store which gives you some videos where you can really follow along step by step i'll walk you right through it well, that's wonderful. And I know there's a session of the class going on right now in July, but um, this class will definitely be offered again uh, because it's one of our most popular classes at FTU. So thanks very much for talking with us about Google Earth, Lisa. Well, it was kind of fun to have you turn the tables on me. Yeah. And I, I love talking about Google Earth. So thanks. I hope to see lots of you guys in class. episode is sponsored by VisitSaltLake.com, and I am very pleased to welcome Caitlin Eskelson, Director of Tourism Sales, to tell us more about it. Hi, Caitlin. Hello. Hey, Salt Lake City is pretty much a mecca for the family historian. So tell us why that is and, and how Visit Salt Lake City can help us get there. 
Well, you know, as you mentioned, basically Salt Lake City is what we call the genealogy capital of the world, and we really have a lot of facilities here that kind of can back up that statement. But the best resource when you're planning your genealogy trip to Salt Lake is really to use our website, which is visitsaltlake.com. And on that website, there's, you know, kind of a plethora of tools that one can use to not only get here and navigate around, but then also search for lodging options, activity options, and get more information about the different, you know, genealogy services that we provide once they're here. You bet. Well, now tell us, what are some of the main draws? What are the reasons why people are going there most? And do you have, you know, information about these locations there on the site that we can kind of prepare ahead of time? We do, actually. When you go to visitsaltlake.com, we have a visit tab, which you would just click on, and there is a tab that's called Things to Do. And basically under that tab, there are a listing of the various attractions that we have in Salt Lake, and they also highlight the various genealogy services that we have. The two main attractions in regards to genealogy specifically are... One, which is our Family Search Center, and that's sort of, if you're new to family history, that's kind of the perfect place to start. They have, you know, free staff that helps you kind of get started and rolling into your genealogy efforts, and they have over 100 individual computer stations with access to family history resources and that sort of thing. So that's a great place to start. And then the other kind of next tier up that we have is a family history library. And that library actually has a collection that includes over two, two and a half million rolls of microfilm genealogical records from, you know, 110 different countries. So that's kind of the next step to where you can really get vested into your genealogy and all that. But aside from those, you know, two different locations. We also have, you know, tons of attractions in Salt Lake. We are a a metropolitan city here in the West. And so we have a 13 attraction. It's called our Visit Salt Lake Connect Pass. And that's actually a 13 attraction pass that kind of gets you around the city to experience some other things going on as well. So what a lot of people will do is they'll come out and they'll do some research, their genealogy research, and then in the evenings go and use this pass or maybe take a day off and, you know, see some other attractions. That's all right on our website. You can even buy the pass right on the website. Exactly. And I have been very pleased to be your genealogy blogger here for the last year or so. And so certainly I encourage all of you to check out their blog because not only can you read my column in terms of what are the events coming up in Salt Lake City for genealogy, but then there's all kinds of other bloggers out there specializing in the various things. And, And like you say, we can go there for the genealogy, but there's so much more to do, and the past certainly helps us get there. Well, Caitlin, I know that you've got lodging packages there on the website. You've got some tips for us about getting to and from the airport and all the transportation needs. It really is a fantastic resource. Yes, yes. I mean, I think that when you once you go on visitsaltlake.com, you know, right the first thing that you're going to see is an online booking engine and it will let you kind of, you know, compare rates and and various things for lodging packages. And, you know, like I said, you can purchase that Visit Salt Lake Connect Pass, but there's also a ton of resources on there with maps and, you know, how to navigate the city and, you know, all that sort of thing that are going to be a really good help once you kind of land here in Salt Lake. Well, if you folks listening have been wanting to make the trip to Salt Lake City, there is no time like the present. And visitsaltlake.com is really the place to go to help you make the most of your visit. Hey, thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining me here on the podcast. Thank you very much. 
Hi, everybody. This is Grace, the preservation expert here at Family Tree Magazine. In the March edition of the podcast, I talked about preserving digital images. And in the May edition, I talked about archiving and organizing your digital photos. When you've got your images and other computer files nice and organized, it's time to back up your data. I'll tell you about four great online backup services in this edition of Safekeeping. If your computer crashes, your family tree files, photos, and documents could be gone in an instant. The way to prevent this type of disaster from happening is to make backups of your files on a regular basis. Burning CDs is okay, and using a flash drive works in a pinch, but the quickest and easiest way to keep your files safe is to use an online backup service. By storing your files on a remote server, you increase the likelihood of your data surviving a hard drive crash or natural disaster. Once you install the software for one of these services, it automatically backs up new and changed files on your computer at intervals that you specify. The prices range from free to a certain amount of money per month or per year. It's good to do a little comparison shopping before you commit. First up, Backup My Tree is a specialized backup service for genealogists that backs up files created by any popular genealogy software program. It keeps up to 25 previous versions of your family tree files, so you can revert to an older version if you need to. You can store up to 500 files for free, but it's for Windows machines only, and so far doesn't support photographs. Carbonite gives you unlimited backup storage space for $59 a year. If you use Windows, it keeps old versions of your files for up to three months, and you can access your files from any computer or a smartphone. Dropbox is super easy to use, and you can get a 2 gigabyte account for free, or upgrade to 50 gigabytes for $9.99 a month, or 100 gigabytes for $19.95 a month. Dropbox lets you share files and sync them between different devices. Mosey gives you access to your backed up files from other computers and from your iPhone or Android phone. You can restore file versions from up to the past 30 days and for a fee, order a DVD with your files. You get a 2 gigabyte account for free or you can upgrade to 50 gigabytes for $5.99 a month. If you do lose all the files on your computer and you've got one of these services, you can download all your data back onto your computer or request a DVD or hard drive. Learn more about these online backup services on the podcast show notes page. Until next time, stay safe. Well, as we wrap up this July 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, I'm thinking I should call this the publisher's desk. Wouldn't that be more accurate? It would be. <laughs> let's, wrap, let's check in at the publisher's desk. Um, you know, we've, well, you know, we've been talking about online genealogy here on this episode, and you are really doing some groundbreaking stuff when it comes to family history online research and education. Tell us what's coming up here later this summer. Well, we are very excited to announce that we are going to host a virtual conference for Family Tree University in August. It's uh, really a new kind of thing. You know, part of our the reason that we wanted to do this is that there are so many people who 
it's just not practical for them to be able to get to an in-person conference because of expense, because they don't have the time, or, you know, they may have physical limitations that prevent them from being able to fully immerse themselves in a two-day conference um, or a three-day conference or, you know, one of the, um, even a day-long seminar. And so we said, well, you know, how could we make that experience more accessible to people who can't do it? And we thought, well, we already offer online classes. Let's do an online conference. And so that's what we're doing. We are going to be gathering presentations from really great ones from a lot of different uh, genealogy experts. And the conference will last three days, August 19th through 21st. And during that time, you'll be able to log in to the virtual conference and participate in all of these sessions. See, I think this sounds so exciting. I, I know I was at a conference recently and we published out kind of one class that I was doing as a live webinar and the feedback was tremendous. People who couldn't get there in person were just thrilled that they were across the country and able to kind of watch it virtually and do it live. But I think you've kind of st taken it a step further because this is not technically live, that the classes are pre-recorded, that the sessions are. So while the whole conference is live and going on all weekend, we, we have the benefit of being able to do it at our convenience. So I guess we're not only saving our travel costs, but we're also able to do it at a time that works. Um, I just think this is tremendous. How are you feeling about it? Do you uh, anticipate a great turnout? And, and, and what kind of feedback are you getting from your customers? Well, I think we're going to have a pretty good turnout. Any new event, um, obviously, it's going to take some time. This podcast will help people let people know about it that um, they'll have an opportunity to sign up. Um, but you know, I think there we have received feedback from people who haven't been able to do the live conference experience, and they've said, you know, thank you very much for doing this because this just opens up a whole new opportunity to me that I didn't have before. And like you were saying about the classes being pre-recorded. That's such an advantage um, in that you can make your own schedule, which I think is really appealing. How, it, for those of you who have been to a live conference, how many times have you looked at the schedule and said, oh, there's two classes I'd really like to take, but they're <laughs> exactly. happening at the same time. Uh, which one am I going to choose? And then you have to pick one over the other. Well, with the classes being pre-recorded, you can m make it up and you know, you can watch one class multiple times if you choose. Um, you can watch them all. You can decide maybe you want to come and watch one one day and then watch it again the next day because you saw something else that sparked an idea and you wanted to go back and revisit that for more. So um, I think that's a, a great advantage um, to the online format that you, you kind of don't get in an in-person event. And, you know, of course, the other thing, sometimes in an in-person event, the rooms fill up. And you can't get a seat. So you don't have to necessarily be camping out for a session that you yes. want 15 minutes before it starts um, in hopes of being able to get in. Um, or worse, you know, have the experience where you couldn't get in because you, you weren't there early enough. So, you know, everybody will get a chance to see everything. You'll even actually be able to, um, if you register for the conference, be able to download the sessions to view again later. Um, so, you know, it's really just opening up a lot more opportunities in the online format than we would have otherwise. I think you're taking another step towards opening up genealogy for all ages. I think back when my kids were little, I would have loved to have gone to a conference, but I couldn't have gotten away to travel. And sometimes 10 o'clock at night is the most convenient time for me to sit down and really sit through a class. So I just think this is really cool. And you've got it down to the swag bag of freebies they're going to yes. get, just like if you went to a conference. <laughs> 
this this is wonderful. So tell us, okay, again, the date and the time, and how do we get registered? Okay, well, it's August 19th through 21st, and you get registered at FamilyTreeUniversity.com. If you go to the website, there's a big link up in the navigation bar where you can click directly to the registration. And I should also note, the early bird discount will be good through July 15th. So you can save $50 if you act fast. Yeah, exactly. The promotion code is VCS11. That gets you that early rate. But I I think even at the full price, you are getting so much value and so much convenience. This is really cool. And it'll be exciting to talk about um, how it all turned out next episode. I'd love to hear some of the feedback. And and I know I'm looking forward to uh, teaching one of the classes and participating in the live chat. So I hope to talk to lots of you folks who are listening out there at the Summer 2011 Virtual Conference. Hey, Allison, this is exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you. so much for joining me for this July 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news online on a daily basis at blog.familytreemagazine.com insider. Next, head on over to FamilyTreeMagazine.com slash podcast. There you can find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered in today's episode. And that'll be including a link to the 101 best website list that David told us about so that you can get started using those websites right away. You'll also find information about how to register for my Google Earth for Genealogy class at Family Tree University and also how to pick up your own copies of the Google Earth for Genealogy DVD series at Shop Family Tree. And finally, we do hope that you will join us this summer, 2011, for the virtual conference being held August 19th through the 21st of 2011. This is going to be a groundbreaking event. I'm going to be there. I hope you will be too. If you have any questions or comments, I hope you'll email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook. I hope you'll come over and visit me at my website at genealogygems.com where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. And both of those shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. This episode is brought to you by Visit Salt Lake. Salt Lake is the perfect place for you to begin your genealogy research or delve deeper into your family's roots. Receive free access to the world's largest genealogy database at the Family History Library. Find a hotel room under $100 and dine at affordable and delectable restaurants. Plus, ride Salt Lake's light rail tracks for free in downtown. You don't have to travel all over the world to trace your roots. Start your journey of discovery in Salt Lake, the genealogy capital of the world. For more information, go to www.visitsaltlake.com slash genealogy.